0: Welcome to the Split Screen Podcast episode 18, our continued investigation into the Adnan Syed mistrial of 1994. You've been watching cereal or listening to cereal.
1: I told you to listen to cereal.
0: You did, it was one of those rare times. And it was very, um, I was very offended that you had to, because I'm such a huge This American Life fan, that I really should have been on that like a lot sooner than I was.
1: Uh, oh, we, we need to introduce our sponsor. Um, so uh, this episode of the Split Screen Podcast is brought to you in association with uh, male
0: Kemp. Mail,
1: MailChimp. I, I actually use MailChimp. Oh, really? Oh, that's, that's really, really cool. cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> <cool. laughs> uh, I've good. I've got so into podcasts lately, and um um I've been using Overcast, which I think I told you to get, but you're yeah. probably sticking to your guns. You probably like the, the default Apple one, because you're like that, but this one's good. Um, It does all kinds of stuff like voice bursts and cuts the gaps in podcasts and all those things. You spend a lot of time meticulously sorting. <laughs> it just chops through. <laughs> <laughs> um. But um, yeah, you can uh, blitz through adverts one minute at a time, but I still end up hearing all these ones in i on my bike, like Squarespace is the all-in-one solution for all your web designs. It's so simple and easy to use, and a great selection of templates. And it's just oh, it's just never. It's like oh, you start to lose your mind a bit. And what's the other ones? Um, hover. Well, do you do you know the oh, th- yeah, hover?
0: Yeah, do you know the thing that really really annoys me? Uh, Wasting time at the post office. But thanks to Stamps.com, I can do all of my mailing.
1: <laughs> I totally fell for that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, no, really annoys me. That advert for uh, Studio Neat. I don't need I don't need Magic Ice Cubes. But no, no, you totally got it. Okay, be. well. Oh, it's like, no, it's uh, Stamps.com for people who always have something to say. And then my boy, what's this boy called, Carver? <laughs> my boy Carver always has my something to say. Always has something to say. Yeah, it's the end of 99% Invisible. Okay. I think we should we should definitely do a podcast about podcasts sometime. But oh, today is yes. Not, today is not that day.
0: No. Today is not that day. Each episode, we pick a theme, bring a number of stories on that theme. This week, safe rooms. Are they safe? Do they have to be rooms? That's a question that uh, Austin asked me on Twitter because I tried very shoddily to try and do some sort of Twitter reach out saying, like, we're talking about safe rooms. Uh, uh Tweet, tweet, tweet back. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Um, And he came back saying, uh, as in places guaranteed no combat, that sort of thing. My response was, sure, because we don't really know where we're going with this. Ah, you- uh, well, I, I've, got a couple, I've got a couple of ideas. Cause I, I, well, okay. <clears throat>
1: right. So, the reason I said to you let's talk about Sea of Rims was because I've just moved into a new house. And um, I, think, I think this is the first one we recorded in the new house, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I lived in a place that wasn't particularly nice. Like, it was a fairly rough area. It was noisy at night. I mean, you stayed there. It wasn't exactly the Ritz.
0: Uh, um, sleeping on the couch beside the two bikes that were leaning up against the couch I can tell you that it was not in fact the Ritz
1: well at least I, yeah, I got rid of the used needles before you turned up
0: yeah that's true
1: um, and, and that was whenever um, I was like oh yeah I got some stuff for breakfast I could get like you know make some nice bacon rolls and get some orange juice and you're like uh, Alan I'm actually allergic to both those things and yeah. I was like <laughs> do you want a block of cyanide washed down with essence of nitrate
0: is it dairy free <laughs> then yes
1: <laughs> dairy, 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 dairy-free nightshade and cyanide burgers. Um, so I moved into a new place and it's much nicer. Its um, Current nicknames are the Penthouse, or I've started calling it the, the Fortress of Order, which probably is not a good name for it. It makes me sound a bit OCD. Um, but it's got a nice wee ensuite, and my housemates are much nicer. We've even got a dishwasher and that just saves so many fights around the house. Mm-hmm. You, you can't really get annoyed about people whenever their mess just disappears into the dishwasher. So like well the old place it never really felt home to me a new place feels like it's like a a safe space it's somewhere i can come home and feel really comfortable and i don't need to worry about you know any of my stuff getting damaged or the place broken into or anything and i thought about the old the old safe rooms in resident evil this is the point at which you need to cut in the safe room music from resident evil 2 Well, it's very nice and calming, there's a lot of clever stuff with like minor keys and the piano and stuff. Do you, do you remember it? I've never played through a Resident
0: Evil game. None of uh, Well, no, actually, that's, that's a complete lie, what I just said there. Sorry, I'm trying to be like a kind of politician of sorts. I've played Resident Evil 5. I did not have
1: game relations with that game.
0: <laughs> I've played through Resident Evil 5, which didn't have safe rooms, I don't think. I think it was just a pause the menu and hit save, or it was a checkpoint kind of thing. Like, there certainly wasn't any go-collect-the-typewriter-ribbon-and-then-go-save-your-game-in-a-separate-little-cubby-hole. go
1: If there's any Resi fans listening to this, they're going to be bristling whenever you said your first one you played was 5. That's, like, my the only Final Fantasy game i finished is 13 story. It really kills people.
0: So, f- funnily enough, I played through Resident Evil 5 with at D. Williamson, I think. Or it was, in fact, at FireDuck. It doesn't really matter, because they're both mentioned in the tweet, so... It, it, uh, D. Williamson points out that Fire Dog used to hide in the typewriter rooms in Resident Evil. Not sure if that's good material, but there you are.
1: No, that that, that that's good because that's what they're for. But it's like, I read a I can't remember the piece I read, but they were talking about Resident Evil safe rooms, how they're not actually safe, and the whole point of them is like, you get to a safe room, you're exhausted, you, like you are safe in there, but you're eventually going to have to come out into the room filled with the zombies. And that's the scary bit. The the scary bit isn't necessarily the zombies. It's knowing that you have to face them again and summoning up the courage to do that. You know, that's what makes it quite interesting. Um, But I'm pretty sure most of them have save rooms. Four, I I don't know, because I think four tends to load things into chapters more and so it has little breather rooms. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same as like, uh, say, one, two or three where you had to run back to the save room and yeah, you're right, you need to have ink ribbons and stuff and then Mm -hmm. um, get the nice piano music and you could chill out a bit.
0: Um, it's a, it's a powerful effect though, um, and it's, some, it's something I mentioned in the the Dead Space review I did up uh, last month. After my my article saying that I would write regularly, and I haven't written anything since then. But
1: see, the first rule of blogging: never first, say you'll do something regularly. Nah,
0: nah, never commit. Never commit. That's why my relationships are so great. But
1: um, hey, you're in one now. You can't talk. Tables have tables have turned. That's true. <laughs> I'm the guy sitting in my own crying myself to sleep, and you're the guy in the relationship now, Craig.
0: <laughs> there's there's basically uh, uh, for the listeners, there's a rule that um, between myself and Alan, only one of us can be truly happy at a time <laughs> <and> within <laughs> like a certain part of their life. So either works going well for one of us, <laughs> and it's yeah. probably going quite badly for the other, um, and that extends to all facets and all. It's kind of like
1: it's kind of like a yin and yang type thing. It's like win, win and wang, and you're currently the winner, and I'm currently
0: the wang. <laughs> Um, but the uh, point was there's actually a point that I took from um, an old Retronauts podcast where they're talking about survival horror games and their definition was that it was any game that introduces an element of dread to the player that they have to overcome in order to uh, proceed so not necessarily loads of evil monsters coming at you but the fact that you have a, a moment where you stop and you go I don't want to go on anymore like, I don't want to go down that yeah. corridor because I hear like a clanging of a metal pipe and I know there's going to be something bloody going to jump out of that cupboard as soon as I get there. And well, like, I guess the save rooms in Resident Evil, from what you're saying, kind of did that.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, I guess maybe maybe one of the things about being a survivor is that um, like, OK, so if you um, so if you watch something like Titanic, right? the the james cameron classic or something like i don't know aliens or there's lots of other films that james cameron hasn't made <laughs> but i'm just trying to those two just popped to mind because i watched alien 3 last week um so those films like whenever um rose gets to the end and she's clinging onto the board or whenever ripley blasts the queen out of the airlock those people are survivors they have survived a horror whereas one of the random first class people that left the titanic is technically a survivor but you wouldn't necessarily describe them that way you know it's not quite the same thing, you know. Like so, a lot of those like survival horror games, like Dead Space. You know, you feel like you've survived because you've battled in the face of almost impossible odds. Mm-hmm. Does Dead Space have safe rooms? I don't think it does. I don't think anywhere safe in Dead Space.
0: Um, no, it it, it 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 did. It had um, when you would because uh, you're you going around this abandoned, uh, seemingly abandoned mining ship. You took the kind of monorail between all these different oh, sections and yeah. when you would come off the monorail there would be a little safe room of sorts and you could um upgrade your suit there i think it was like that was where you had your inventory and you could buy certain add-ons for for uh, guns and certain upgrades um but the way it handled the save points specifically it was the little terminals on the wall and those mm. weren't those weren't unique to the safe room and um, those would be um scattered along throughout the game and i think Oh, they did the thing where on the harder difficulty, you could only use those terminals a certain number of times in the entirety of the game. So you had to pick your save point very carefully and, yeah, and you'd go those okay. long distances. And a, uh, in Alien Isolation um, they do that to a similar effect. You have to yeah. go up to the terminal and it's a very cumbersome It technique. takes
1: you just to, to save it. Have you, have you got Isolation?
0: Uh, no, but I've read Rick Lane's excellent review yeah, Rick um,
1: Lane. I don't know. He's not the kind of guy I'd have back in a podcast. Certainly not around the time of the new year. Anyway,
0: probably not at Christmas nah, either.
1: Nah, mm-hmm. nah. Definitely would be would be no present for me. I'll tell you that. Okay. But anyway, um, yeah, I I don't have I read his review. I don't know, but I haven't.
0: <laughs> have I? Well, hey, I'm gonna. We're, I'm, we're such good friends.
1: <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to my friend on a podcast unless it's you. Um, but uh, you know, I've been playing it a little bit, and the save, the save game process is really cumbersome. I've only met the alien once, and it was quite scary. I got in, I got into a lift and moved to the next area. It was a monorail. It's a mining ship.
0: Mm-hmm. What's kind of um, interesting on the Alien Isolation because have you ever this is slightly off topic already but What topic? Do you have do you have like any games that you know were absolutely terrible? Like as much as there's a subjective nature to anything and to art and all that but there are certain games which are just objectively bad games that you actually hold a bit of a sweet spot for.
1: Oh yeah. Um, well, actually, I'm I'm giving a talk on this next week. Um, I'm doing a talk at uh, Video Brains about nostalgia. It'll probably it'll probably be it'll probably have happened by the time we release this. Um, but one of the games that I used to really like but his shit is uh, Robocod for the Mega Drive James Pond 2
0: oh I remember that it's,
1: um, it's, it's bloody awful it's a bit like um, I always tell people never to watch The Mask again and you probably disagree with me but I, I watched The Mask in primary school and I thought it was the funniest film ever and then I watched it in high school and it was awful Um, and Robocod's a bit like that it is a It's a really bad game. The reason I'm talking about it is because I'm talking about nostalgia and the Christmas factor of nostalgia. And RoboCod is a shit game with a lot of nostalgia set at Christmas, so it's kind of it's perfect.
0: Uh, The game for me that I hold that I really shouldn't think about this as much as I do was that Alone in the Dark. Uh, oh, game that came out on the 360, <laughs> which, which, which of course was the was, was also the first review that I wrote on the Swiss screen blog, and I think I peaked early because that was the game where you had to press a button to blink. And... That was
1: the that was the lost podcast. That was whenever um, uh, you made me play it at uh, Rick's house, I think. And, and i was just kind of given this running commentary while i played it It was like some kind of proto let's play and we were all just cracking up at how shit this game was mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's one of those moments you wanted to you wanted to cherish forever but if you knew that if you tried to record it it would just no longer be funny a bit like our podcast really
0: well long long unfunny story short um one of the things that that game did was that when you looked at your infantry you physically looked down and you, you held your jacket open like some some creepy flasher and you would then navigate around the pockets in real time, but the enemies were still coming at you. That's the way that you save the game in uh, alien isolation. Um, yeah. it doesn't pause it. And so while you and I think it makes a noise as well, which alerts the alien and, and the I other. I think enemies it gives you, a, you it
1: gives you some kind of proximity scanner so it tells you if people are nearby whenever you save anything. So it kinda of warns you not to do it. But I'm not sure what happens if you manage to get a save in and then get your head munched. Um, yeah.
0: Because I remember there a point in the old um, Red Faction game on the PS2 it was, it was thinking of like save rooms or points where I saved myself into a corner mm-hmm. um, and I got quite far through the game and I had like two health points left and like three rounds of like the pistol and that was it and I was saved it just before this room where you enter it and then there was a guy with a rifle in front of you and then a lot of crossfire so with the three bullets I could take down the guy and then he would drop a gun but to get to the gun I had to cr- go across this crossfire which I could never do time and time and time again I would reload it shoot fail and got so good at like taking this guy out but I could <laughs> never get to the gun so eventually I like gave up and kind of years later or whatever then went and played the game again got to that point and it was like oh I, did, I felt my head was like flooding back with all these memories finally got past that point and the credits rolled like that was like literally at the end of the game and I was thinking oh, like oh my god like oh, as soon as I like, get around this corner I've got like a whole other bit oh it's done oh okay
1: yeah, but I think like there's there's quite a few games that do the Alone in the Dark, um, go inside the public masturbator trench coat stuff for making items because it does crafting Alone in the Dark, doesn't it? And I think <laughs> the last I think The Last of Us does that as well. We can't pause the game to craft. Um, Dark Souls is another game that you can't pause. Mm-hmm. And um, I read a piece on I think it was Chris Kohler at Wired whenever Destiny came out, and he said like, go it, it, games like Destiny and Dark Souls where you can't pause at any time. Uh, are not for him because he can't make the time in his life. Like if you're like I've got a kid, you know I've got a family. I need to stop playing a game, and I can't put my life on hold for a game. I put the game on hold for my life.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, but
1: it, but it is kind of an important part of survival horror. I think that that idea of nowhere to run between spots is is important. It's like if you if you could just hang out in a save room all day, like it, it's just a different, it's just a different type of thing. The the impulse in Resident Evil becomes. Getting to the next save room and taking a breather, or something like alien isolation, you just kind of have to keep going and going and going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're just breaking the you're just breaking the the game into sort of level sized chunks or encounters rather than Resident Evil, which is like one big place and you you choose when to chunk it. So it's not different. But one game that does it differently, and this is what made me think about when I was originally thinking about proposing the the podcast topic was. Um, uh, have you ever played Project Zero Two? Have I ever talked to you about it and said how good it was? Uh,
0: you might have, but I probably okay. just like glazed over and stared into the middle distance for a while.
1: One day, one one, hopefully next year, it'll be the first of October, and I will remember that Halloween's coming at the end of the month, and I will write a piece about it in advance because I always have this idea around the twenty eighth of October. <laughs> but um. So the, the Project Zero the series are called Fatal Frame in the United States, and you play normally some kind of young girl because it's a Japanese game, um, and you get this camera that takes photos of ghosts. And um, you, in the first Project Zero, you can only, your camera's damage changes depending on how long you focus, so you can kind of like. You kind of like line up some crosshairs and you do more damage to these ghosts. But in two, um, the way to do as much damage to them as possible is to get as close to them as possible. Okay. So you have to wait until they're right about the eat you before you take what's called a fatal frame. And that gives you more like damage and kind of a currency points to upgrade the camera. But um, quite early in the game, um, it, it has save rooms and I'm not sure how it does. Probably can, you know, notebook or typewriter or some kind of contrivance. Do you have to go um, to like
0: an old Kodak film... Place and like, a one hour photo booth. Develop- I, can't,
1: I, I can't. I can't remember how you do it. They like the the mechanics are not important. You go to the you go to the the, the state saving MacGuffin, um, and you go through a couple of chapters in the game. You kind of save the game and just get on with it. And you use this little save room in the first house you come to. And then at one point, i like the third chapter, you go in there. You save your game. And as soon as you save the game, a ghost pops out of the box <laughs> right <laughs> behind you and just l- lashes at you, and it is the most terrifying thing ever because whenever, you, like whenever you're like, you playing Resident Evil, the scary bits are whenever the dogs jump in the window and things like that, and, um, or dead space, the really scary bit is, like for me, the bit that really sticks in my mind is when you go outside of the ship for the first time, yes. and you have to pick up something, I know and exa- then I know exactly and you turn around... You turn around and there's something coming at you, and you don't even know it's there because it is silent. Mm -hmm. And the the scariest bits of the moment you can't anticipate something like Dead Space, you're expecting to, you're expecting the things, you know, coming at you all the time, right? So you're kind of always on edge. Or like, you know, you're not going to be scared in Gears of War because you're expecting to get past every encounter. Resident Evil, you get scared by, yeah, the jumpy bits and the jump scares and things that come out of nowhere. But yeah, Project Zero gets you in the save room. And it's such a, it's such a dick move, but it's also fantastic.
0: But there's there's that similarity between like horror and comedy ultimately because they're both about conditioning. So they present you with something a number of times, and then they'll do a twist on it. So within Save Rooms, like as you're saying, um, or, or rather within Dead Space, we will do that. So you'll open up a hundred boxes, but on the hundred and first one that you stamp, then some ghoulie comes out and grabs you, and then that sets you slightly on the edge. You think like, oh, I thought this thing was safe. Yeah, um, but actually, it, it's not. And that reminds me. There's um, there's a really good uh, text adventure called Shrapnel by Adam Cater. I don't know if I ever forced that one on you. Um, you forced several on me, but that wasn't one of them. Um, so it starts off, and it sounds like it's a a, a a homage ripoff of Zork. So it literally has the you're standing in front of a white mansion. There's a mailbox to your west and a door to your north. As you play through it. There's a moment where, well, you go north, right? And um, there's like a pack of wild dogs. Um, they attack you and they kill you. And then you type in like, and it says like restart. Yes. So you type in yes, and then you go. It's like you were standing in front of a white mansion. There's a door to your north, so you go north again. It's like you go north. There's a pack of wild dogs chewing on your corpse. And so, <laughs> and so the game nice. sort of plays with this idea. And there's a moment where you go into the living room, and this is that idea of like, a, I think the scariest thing is when you think you're safe, but you're not. And you do the usual exploring stuff, and you can pull up, op- uh, pull aside the carpet or pull aside the rug, and then there's a hatch, and you open the, the latch on it, and you lift it up, and you stare down, and there's nothing. It just says it's complete blackness. So you close it again, and you go off. Later on in the story, then emerges that the family chained their, um, I think they, insin- uh, they, they insinuate that is their mentally retarded son in the basement below the living room, and they cut out his tongue so he couldn't scream. So I think it gets quite grisly. But it's oh. like, oh, you think you're safe, but you're not. That's, that's, that's pretty
1: creepy. I always thought, like, do you know, one of the things I don't like is that there's too much coverage of these things before they come out. And you kind of get all these all these secrets of games revealed to you. But I thought would be really, really cool. This is what he's, One of these game ideas I had that I'll never do was, what if you had something that looked like a standard military shooter, right? Mm-hmm. And you sort of, you know, or like some kind of space shooter or something. And then, you know, you just played through it. And then, about maybe like a third of the way through the game, it turns out to be a survival horror game. And it's like, fuck you. <laughs> I think it would be like, for people just to think like they were just some gung ho superhero and then to have that totally subverted would be such a, it would be a totally unforgettable feeling. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do it though, because, you know, everybody would have covered it in the press. But,
0: well, it, it can, it does happen. I mean, the the video game example, not to that extent in terms of a full on genre switch was um how Metal Gear Solid 2 was sort of marketed in the West.
1: Yeah, and they they but they they injected Snake into the the big shell screenshots and stuff that they gave out to the people. They yeah. were very clever with it.
0: The other example which I won't go into anymore because I do think um it, it's it's a, a absolutely fantastic film and if you're not a fan of com um not a fan of horror, I think you'll actually enjoy it more but it's Cabin in the Woods.
1: No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay,
0: well we should we should totally watch Cabin in the Woods at some point. Because the way that film was marketed and the poster, um, and all the stuff. It's like ah, this looks like a kids go into a cabin in the woods, um, and scary stuff happens. And it it immediately after the, after the first ten minutes, it then just takes a step to the left, and you're on a slightly different journey. Um, and it's and it's brilliant. But marketing wise, you will never know that. Looking at the back of the DVD, um, you wouldn't know that.
1: What was that big clunk?
0: That was me dropping my phone against the microphone. <laughs>
1: That was you taking a step to the side into the cabin in the woods. Well,
0: while well, I've got my phone, though, um, at Austin see how he's written for us, right? Austin's written for
1: uh, us. Yes, he is in the issue
0: 5 out of 10, yes. Yes. Um, yes uh, I've been pestering him to, uh, <laughs> uh, to, 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 to to say something back. Stop, we'll stop harassing the writers. <laughs> to the point. So on the note of uh, safe houses, uh, to be honest, they're largely a matter of courtesy. Plenty of solid ideas that can be subverted for atmosphere and tension, According to some, uh, alien, isolation, alien Isolation achieves this with its unsafe save points. According to others, they'd be killed multiple times while trying to save... Fucking with save rooms is playing with fire.
1: I... I I don't know, because I don't want to do a Google Whack adventure here and look us up, but I wonder if... Um, Resident Evil 3 is the one with Nemesis. who's um, like this kind of unkillable soldier chasing you the whole way through the game. And... Um, I wonder if he attacks you in the save room. I'm not sure if he does. I think that would be sacred, but he certainly attacks places you previously thought were safe. Mm-hmm. He can't he can't clear out areas. And I think he comes and chases you if you spend too long on a spot. Mm-hmm. But um I, I'm I'm not sure if he does it in the save room. I don't want to go look it up. Somebody the the two people that listen to this neither of them will know, so i will have to remain in the
0: stream. <laughs> there's two there's two more games um I'd sort of like to touch on before we I think we leave the kind of horror Survival yeah. horror. I keep trying to say horror in a way. It's like a really hard word for me. Horror, horror. horror it's, it's pure there. horror. By the way, because there's been a murder. Um, just say
1: just. Oh, uh, ha, okay, before we move on, um, they ever tell you, about I to say Goosebumps game uh, called Escape from Horrorland. Uh, I I'm pretty sure that uh, Jeff Goldblum is in it, <laughs> 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 but um, no, that I will look up. But um, one of the things was um the the main character like they we're all talking about you know how on escape from Horrorland let's see if it's is, is somebody famous um, yes yeah, Jeff Goldblum Isabella Rossellini isn't it <laughs> um, but yeah the the main girl has an unfortunate accent that makes her pronounce it as Horland. <laughs> and part. I thought that was very funny back in 1987 I thought that was a, a real hit.
0: Like in eighty-seven, you were what? One years old. One year, nineteen ninety-seven. Oh, 97, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so two games. One, uh, Dead Rising.
1: Which I I thought you were going to say. I thought that was going to be your choice of a game that's actually shit that you really like. No, it
0: <laughs> was going to be Dead Rising. No, I I I I I've always stood by Dead Rising. Everyone else made fun of my gaming husband, but I stood by him. Dead Rising was a fantastic game, even the first one with all its AI faults and and, and and awkward saving. Because Dark Souls Dark Souls then came out with the same bloody thing.
1: Speaking of safe speaking of safe rooms. <laughs>
0: fucking Dead Rising, man. <laughs> so you would have to you could only save the game in one uh one area up in the I think it was called actually like the safe house, but it's up in the the roof effectively.
1: It was kind of the the staff room almost. Yeah,
0: it was a security room. That's what it was. Mm. It was the security room where everyone was uh, secure. And you had to march your way back there every time. And it was a long journey. Even from the start of them all, it was a good five minutes of going through three or four different load screens before you actually got to the point where you could go to the one locker and save. And if you had um, survivors in the game, you had to escort them back. And that's where the... You know, like the ghosts in Pac Man had better pathfinding. That's probably a bad example because it's actually all they have is excellent pathfinding. However, corpses have got better pathfinding than these AI survivors did. Um, but I, oh no, I fuck, I fucked up, actually. You could save them in the toilets. I only found that out, like <laughs> I only found that out, uh, <laughs> like years after the fact, and it was like, you're, you're what? You can do what now? You can actually save in the toilets. Yeah, you can save in the toilets. There's only three or four of them again in the in the, the mall, but it then became a big like investment. Like you want to go out and everything, you've got this time pressure on you, which I think is slightly different from an alien is- isolation. Um, but this is, this is somewhat turning into a review of that game, where neither of us have really played it because I've seen that's weird. until um, I finish it, yeah. I've seen. Have you? Are you actually playing through it now? Yeah. Ah, oh, sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: I actually have time to play video games now.
0: Oh, that's quite cool. What's that like? Uh,
1: is that right? Is that right? I uh, well, uh, of course, it was classic Alan moment. Um, where I was like, oh, I could finally get cracking in the Bayonetta two. I'm only on like the. I'm only a couple of chapters in, and uh, I really want to get it done before Christmas so I can legitimately say it's the best game of the year because I think I know it will be. But uh, but um, yeah, and I was like, I was on my Wii U, and I was like, oh. I've got a demo of Monster Hunter 3 let's play that before I go to bed And it was balls it lasted 5 minutes before it got deleted that's why I didn't play Bayonetta last night and now I, now I want to go watch Cabin in the Woods <laughs> so I don't know well uh, I save it Well, I save Cabin in the Woods when I come to visit
0: save it save it. we'll watch it when okay. you come up it's good fun okay. because there's also in that game oh sorry in that film there was going to be a. this is such a good segue Alan I've ruined it now but this is such a good segue there was going to be a tie in with the get a drink valve game left for dead so at a very brief moment in cabin in the just, woods there is a drink, there there is a picture of a boomer a tank Ooh. a witch and a hunter from left for dead Um so we can watch that and i can freeze frame it and go look look see there see there there it is it's right there nice nice but left for dead was the first game that i thought of when you said safe rooms actually Of course. Um, Because that's where you start each campaign in a little safe room. And then it's all about charting this journey through hordes of zombies and hordes of special infected. But specifically, it's that point where you see the safe room that you're trying to get to. You see the finish line and you get that moment of, do I go for a dash? Or do we just stay the course and maintain pace and try to get there? And often that's when things really start to crumble.
1: It's because it's because um, we go right, we're gonna dash, and then one of your AI companions doesn't he? He's having too good a time killing the killing the zombies, and you're like, shit. and then it just all falls apart very quickly.
0: But that was one especially because once the adrenaline was going, because um, I remember we used to play it with with um, well, Flammy's like David David McGill, Um we got to the point where we were playing it on expert all the time, and so get you. Getting uh, us because we used a lot of glitches actually to beat some of the finales, um, (laughs) which were all named after Jesus. Actually, I don't know if you like, yeah. So, like in um, End of No Mercy, there was the Jesus room, which was a room where you stood in against the wall, the AI would all funnel towards the door, and you could just um, bottleneck them and get them there. There was uh, the Jesus tractor (laughs) in Blood Harvest that you could get on, there was the Jesus rock in Death Toll dead toe what's that one the one in the tunnel um, and then there was the Jesus wing and dead air the airport one that you could all stand on and the AI couldn't see you so they would just freeze and you could just wait out the timer so that claim of like we played it on expert all the time is we battled through to the finale and then, then cheated more or less
1: Nice. It's very like I you know.
0: Do we did we play Left 4 Dead?
1: I definitely played it with. We played uh, it.
0: We played it a couple of times. We, yeah, never... we played
1: it. We played it a couple of times. I do not think we ever finished a level. But we should do that after this. Go we'll play some Left 4 Dead. Yeah, I'm up for that. Um, okay. Good. Right. Uh, well, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, we're we're bored, so we're gonna play Left 4 Dead. See you later.
0: <laughs> so, so where there was like a lot of adrenaline when we were just about to get to that get to the next safe room, when we would start, then the next chapter would load. Genuinely needed like a little bit of a calm down, <laughs> like a little bit Ooh. of a moment to actually breathe and go okay, yeah. all right, let's get it together. you needed a
1: wee while to change your pants and things, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I guess probably we can't we can't go without mentioning um, Silent Hill: The Room.
1: Yeah, right enough. I don't know. Well, we can because I've not played it.
0: Neither have I, but uh... we've mentioned it now, so we can we can now go on. Right, I'll just mark that
1: off in my uh, my piece of paper
0: here that we didn't cover it.
1: But uh, I think I think just to to, to finish up on Left for Dead, it, it's almost like a kind of survival. It's like survival horror at its most pure in the end because the whole point of the game is to run to the next savior, and and very often that is what you're doing after a while. You know, let's that that's just it distilled to the run like hell for the savior. That's that's almost yeah. that's what a lot of those games are like a lot of the resi stuff. Whenever you're low on herbs or if you need Danado leave to go about the rest of your day, it did turn into a big scramble for that safe room. It's a it's just a it's just implements that kind of tension in a very direct way.
0: Yeah. I mean the, the more I think about it, Left for Dead for me just is such a, a pinnacle of like design, but also just some of the, the best game experiences I've ever had. Um
1: like, Do you think two was a lot less good though? Because I never got into two the way I enjoyed the first one.
0: Yeah no we never took to it in the same way either. Um I think for a couple of reasons why it never worked for me one was just um the characters themselves weren't actually as interesting that sounds like a very shallow thing to say because the characters don't matter as much but the the whole game lost a lot of the b-movie vibe that the first one had it wasn't trying to go for that it actually tried to tell a continuous story going through savannah and the level design was much more naturalistic in the second game but it lost a lot of... It was it was from a kind of game design-y point of view. It was less fun to navigate. Yeah, was um, it, it
1: the one that had the the fair and the the swamp, the bayou swamp thing?
0: It had interesting ideas like that. Like, the funfair was very good. That's probably the best level, I would say. There's one where it would flood, essentially. So you're kind of retracing your steps, but the world's slightly different. And the ammo reserves that you pick up as you go are what remain... For the coming back, if that makes sense, so you can't just mm-hmm. take everything because you need to save some stuff. So there's interesting ideas like that, but it just it lost a lot of luster for me because it didn't quite have that B movie vibe that the first one had, um, and just the levels just didn't weren't as fun to play.
1: Yeah, it just it just wasn't as fresh, and I didn't I didn't really enjoy the melee stuff in it, and um, yeah, I think it also came it was the one where people wanted to boycott it because it came very quickly off the back of the first Left 4 Dead. Which pissed people off for some reason.
0: Yeah, I remember that. I I just remember a screenshot of... uh, There was a Steam group for people boycotting the game and then the day of release it was like everyone was in the game anyway. Um, (laughs) Because hacktivism, baby. The other reason it it sort of fell down was where they introduced the new Special Infected. They they were each introduced to specifically target um, tactics that players were using in the first game in order to get by. So, and, and I say players, I mean us. Like, the only reason we were to, able to get by on X was because we had our little group tactics down. So one of them was just be, you could just find a corner, two people kneel down and use the melee attack just to push zombies back while the people are standing up above them, shotgunning them. Mm-hmm. So they introduced the spitter who would then pr- launch a projectile into the corner and turn the floor to acid so you had to move so you couldn't camp together. Yeah. Um. Similarly, the jockey and. Oh, um, I remember the jockey. Jockey and Charger were introduced to, again, stop the. try to split up the group that was. Um,
1: well, hold on. I thought the jockey was in the first one.
0: No, no. Jockey was. Uh, uh, jockey's the one that jumps on and, and rides and pulls yeah. someone away. Um, well,
1: was, I didn't realise it was in the. Uh, I thought it was in the first game.
0: No, because although the smoker would um, pull people away as well, it was very controlled. So you could actually just let someone get dragged and don't chase them. You could just stand target your shot and and shoot them down.
1: Because the first one was the was the boomer, the smoker, the witch and the hunter, was that right? Uh yeah,
0: that's right. And then they introduced the spitter, the charger, which would just um it's kind of half like a tank, but would just do like a very direct charge into a group and throw them away, the jockey. And then they put wandering witches in as well. Mm. Um but that, it just yeah, it just never took. I would I'd be very keen to to see um another version of of Left 4 Dead come out. Be more interesting to see what they can do with any increased AI, you know, stuff. And to the AI director that they had that was orchestrating the game, it'd be interesting to see that be developed more rather than the game. Because I think the look of the game was fine, you know.
1: Well, the people that me that have now moved on to evolve, so that might be where to go next if you want the.
0: Oh uh, right, really. That
1: kind of a, yeah, yeah, and again, it's a team of four people against one big human-controlled like beast, I think, human-controlled monster. Okay. I haven't actually, I haven't really, I haven't really looked into it that much because it doesn't really sound like my cup of tea. But I think I got good, um, got some of those, I don't know, E three badges of glory, you know, the ones that like IGN and folks give out and slap onto people's booths.
0: Yeah. Although that's kind of like when you get a certificate for attending a course and you're like, I can't really hang this up with any sense of pride.
1: Hardest tryer. Your your advert was the best at the advertising show. Well done.
0: Pretty much. Um alright. Any other survival horror stuff? We've kinda of hit that quite hard.
1: No, I think we've we've gone we've gone now um, pretty grave deep in that.
0: Alright. You ever developed agoraphobia in a game? Agoraphobia in a game? Um uh,
1: not really. I need to. I need to write a piece about. Um, Chris Donlin wrote a piece about uh, catastrophe games and dealing with his illness. And I started chatting to him on Facebook about like how I. I hate games where I'm not in full control of the situation. I find games like Fire Emblem and XCOM and things like where I know there's going to be some catastrophic loss I can't recover from. I find it's very uncomfortable. So I'm going to write something about that at some point. But, okay. Um, but agoraphobia? No, not really. No.
0: Right. So for me, it hit. He- when the first time i played minecraft and i realized that i built this um this this little home inside this this mountain and i had like this pathway that would go across into the next mountain and then there was all the tunnels and all the 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 excavation stuff and the caves mm-hmm. and the different levels i realized that once i'd built that and visited i would like went outside and put kind of lights up and things i never left that area like I never wanted to leave that area because that yeah, was like... Yeah,
1: you spent so long building your way home and everything.
0: I spent so long there and I did feel like genuinely sort of safe there. And it was like, this is the world that I know. And it was just so strange because I was installing all these mods to put in like the kind of mapping at the time. You would get the 3D isometric mapping stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw like this whole world and I was like, nope, don't really want to go out there. Quite content sitting at home here. Which is basically what I do in real life. Um, and <laughs> rearranging my albums over and over and over again.
1: Ha ha! So, uh, you okay? <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm fine. I'm, fine. I'm, I'm fine. fine. I'm fine, Um, But that was, that, I think that there's, I would have thought you, that was how you felt on, like, Animal Crossing. Is that not a similar thing where you're kind of building no, up? No,
1: no, no, Animal Crossing, like, Animal Crossing, you've got a town, and you, you are, in fact, even the latest game, you are the mayor of that town. It's quite compact. You're in control of it, and you, a lot of the kind of longer-term stuff in the game is completely managing and dominating that space and stuff like making sure you've got the right number of different trees and houses and amenities and stuff all over. So, no, it's it's definitely not an agoraphobia thing. In fact, my your house almost becomes like a trophy cabinet for cool stuff you've managed to pick up. Yeah, okay. you, you, there's not a lot to do inside your house. Most of the stuff you do is outside like the fishing and the bug catching and you can go to the tropical island and stuff so no pretty pretty much the opposite i would say it's it's more about exploring the great outdoors- mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know whenever you were um young and you had long summer holidays and you would spend a day running about the countryside and stuff, but you knew you had to come home at the end of the day yeah that's kind of what that that is that that to me is what animal crossings like oh uh, okay. I'm look. I'm doing my usual look over at the shelf for inspiration, but I haven't got my glasses on, so I might do that, and then I'll see if I can find all any right. games.
0: Well, you put you put your glasses on, um, and I'll tell you a story. So this is slightly off topic. Um, so I, I, sitting under my desk, I've got a load of like random CDs. Uh, talking about rearranging albums over and over again. I just found like all these like old mixtapes and things, things I had made and saves from uni and stuff like that. Um, In there, there were a number of CDs from when I hosted a radio show called uh, Truth and Soul Inc. uh, Fresh Air in the University of Edinburgh Student Radio Station. Now, I've never listened to them because they're recordings of the show that I would present. So I would go down to Pleasant on like a Sunday night Mm -hmm. with like my bag of Motown CDs. And I would (laughs) go there and I would like, it was really painful, too, so, because the guy who was on before me was like a proper, proper Motown fan. Like, he had all these vinyls and stuff, and he would do far more, like, mixing and things like that than I would ever do. Um, but I would go in there with, like, my little humble bag, put stuff in, and put, like, a blank CD in, um, and I would, like, re- record the show. And I was like, I've never listened back to them. Okay. Just for fear of, like, it's, it being as bad as I actually thought it was. I finally picked up the courage last week to do it. Uh huh. and I put it in, and I hit play, and nothing happened. Because apparently I didn't hit record on these CDs. <laughs> so-, so you've
1: got a box of
0: 50 blank CDs? <laughs> Eight. <laughs> Eight blank CDs with the, the dates dutifully written on them. Um, And each time I went in, apparently I uh, just didn't actually record in the way I thought it was recording. So I don't but- actually know if this show got broadcast at all. It's got to be
1: some metaphor for your university career. <laughs> Something like that. There's, there's got to be there's got to be some kind of analogy to make there.
0: But yeah, so do you have a look at your shelf? You, you found anything?
1: Oh yeah, I did. I didn't see anything. Oh, right. uh, I just I just I just saw you at blank CDs.
0: <laughs> what about uh? What about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> son, of, son of a bitch! <laughs> oh, this is just um, this is just Craig's funny stories. Last last time was of course the the gel story. I've got a bit of, I've got a bit of follow up on that. Um, I am using Original Source right now, but I've got a great Lush shampoo bar. So have you ever used one of those? No. God's amazing! It's like one swipe over your head and it's foam city. <laughs> Can't recommend it enough. It'll, it'll it'll be much nicer than Original Source. Okay. Which I just think it like it smells nice but it just it just seems to go very quickly. Not
0: you tell me about it.
1: <laughs> if he's in your hair it lasts a lot longer. Yeah, man.
0: You just gotta portion that stuff out.
1: Oh. Should we should we wrap it up there? We've done like a good forty minutes of interesting survival horror. Do you really want to do another topic?
0: Um well we can we can like chat about one. We can always put it out as a different podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm just thinking like that was quite that was quite a nice wee forty minute stuff about survival horror and it was mainly interesting.
0: So just, well, because it's kind of turned into like a bit of a save room, saving chat. Yeah. And do you, like, what which do you prefer? Do you, because I guess like the spectrum kind of goes from, on one extreme, the stuff we've talked about where you've got only specific places where you can save. Yeah. There's then um there's the kind of, in terms of frequency, I'm trying to think about it, you've then got like automatic checkpoints where you, mm-hmm. just, you just walk through them. Yep. And then to complete control you've got hit the pause button quick save quick load all of that yep. stuff which which do you prefer like in a game oh um I okay so there's
1: a couple of different ways of looking at this um so whenever I was doing Escape in a pali the, the fact that I could manually save was invaluable right because I had lots of different points I'd save throughout the game for various levels I was playing
0: is, is that a... so I, <laughs> and I
1: if I was writing a book about Halo that would have been a lot more difficult mm-hmm um, the other way of looking at it is that whenever I played Bioshock 2 for the 360, it does not automatically save at all. Yes. Um, and I had turned off Vita Chambers because I was going to go for that achievement where you go through the game without playing with the Vita Chambers. Yeah. Um, suffice to say, I lost about 45 minutes of play, and I turned Vita Chambers on because I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so um, I, think, I think personally for me, it's not acceptable for a modern game to not have autosaves. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's absolutely ludicrous and I think, I, think that, I mean you say what I prefer but I think it depends on the type of game. Most games are set up most games are now designed so that um, you never have to go back, you don't really have to do a lot of repetition and um, you know, checkpointing works in different ways. So like mm-hmm. I'm playing Shovel Knight a lot in the 3DS um, and you get various checkpoints throughout the level Yeah. Um, but you can smash the checkpoints and collect extra money but if you do so and you die, then you obviously can't use that checkpoint anymore. You have to go back to the previous uh, okay. one. Okay, that's quite cool. Um, so it does a kind of risk and reward thing with checkpoints, which I think is okay because you wouldn't you wouldn't smash one accidentally. So mm-hmm. I think like I think auto are essential just because modern consoles and computer games are really complicated and they do crash and it can be very frustrating if it's no fault of your own.
0: Well, I think that um, that,
1: that that is that is just downright annoying. But at the same time, like. I mean, Halo does stuff like you um, know we can save and quit whenever you've had enough, and that's okay. But the other problem is sometimes you do get stuck with a shitty checkpoint. Um, so what Halo does is it actually has multiple checkpoints, and if you die, like say three or four times in quick succession at one checkpoint, it will reload a previous one. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the you have thought that out pretty well. But I don't, I don't know. I think I wouldn't want to come down and say, oh, it, it must be, it must be checkpoints or whatever. Because the problem with checkpoints is, of course, that there's invariably some point in the game where you have an extremely long stretch between them and that becomes very frustrating. Yeah,
0: because like there's that... Yeah, I agree with what you said when it comes down to, to progress. Um, the thing I find interesting is just how influential the type of save mechanic is on consequence in a game. So if you think to... Uh, you Because know, there's always... I always want my effects at uh, my the, yeah i always want there to be effects to my actions in the world like i want to see like see that i've been there by the decisions mm-hmm. i've made um in the telltale game so like wolf among us walking dead and undoubtedly it'll be there in the game of thrones game um it also saves as you said after you've made decisions so you imagine how different the experience would be if you were manually saving and you could just like load back to before that decision, and then to see, oh, does the left path play out like this, and oh, the right path plays out like that? Yeah, I'll go with the left path. Um, yeah, I think part, I, I think
1: that kind of decision permanence
0: is really important in a game like that. Um, but you can you can if you were to if it, if the game was structured in the way that you hit pause and hit save, there's nothing stopping you from doing that except yourself. I know that I would really struggle to have that kind of self control to say. No, I'm going to stick with my decisions. I know actually the fact that I'm full of shit because when I play, <laughs> when I've played Fallout uh, Three or um, New Vegas or any, of the um, I've done this before. It's not Oblivion. Who is it who made those games, Alan? Bethesda. Bethesda type games. I will save just before I know there's those big decisions coming up, and sometimes yeah. I'll just go like, actually, not really content with the way that panned out. And yeah, no,
1: I've, I've done that before, and like stuff like uh, wanting to see all the endings and spec up the line and stuff.
0: Whereas in, then, the, whereas in the same breath, I will say that the, the thing I loved about Fallout 3 was that there were some big um, ramifications for the decisions you made. Okay, some of them were quite screamingly obvious in retrospect the, the Megaton bomb and mm-hmm. things like that. But I still dug that at the time.
1: I think like, um, yeah, well, Fallout 3 is another place I was thinking about safe houses and places to stay in. Because you've got your wee, you get your house in Megaton with uh, what do you, I don't know, what do you call the butler? The Ruble butler? Yeah, it gives you filtered water. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah,
0: I do. I can't remember his name. And
1: you can collect your bobbleheads in there. That's a nice safe house. Um well the other game that kinda of plays with saves is uh Nier, which I wrote about in Five Out of Ten Issue 4. Go get it. Go get it. It's uh it's good good near piece, Sam huh? Good 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 critical acclaim. It's in the, the critical distance compilation. But um it, it it actually forces you to delete your save at the end of the game. Because it's uh like a symbolic part of the story about the character's memories being erased and it makes you delete your save and not only does it do that it it erases everything and you watch your entire inventory being slowly stripped and all of your quest completion being slowly stripped and it deletes the letters from the name on your save one by one um but then the nice thing is whenever you start the game again um even though it's wiped your save you can see a little white flower appear in the title screen so you'll always so you'll always know that you were there that's (laughs) nice that's quite nice It's, it's really yeah it's one of those games that I think if you bought it for somebody, they'd be like, this is balls. why would I want to play this? But it's well worth getting stuck into. And it's like, yeah, it seems like a kind of mediocre action RPG, but the story in it is so good. It's really,
0: really subversive and clever, and it just does
1: stuff nothing
0: else does. So that review of Nier is available in 5 out of 10, which you can find <laughs> at 5outof10magazine.com. As previously mentioned, Escape to Napoli, the book by Caitlin Tremblay. And Alan Williamson.
1: It's uh, Trom- Trombley. Trombley. Well, that, well, that's the way I'm pronouncing it. And I'm pretty sure that's the way she pronounces it too. I'm pretty sure it's Trombley. Um, and, and and yeah, you know how to pronounce my name. Uh. <laughs> that's, that's been good. That's, yeah, we have already done? We've done three 5 out of 10 plugs in one issue, which is actually less than I normally do on Twitter on any given day. So
0: so find all that, 5out10magazine.com. You can also go to split-screen.net to see Alan's reviews of mince pies have you heard about the scandal of
1: this but I didn't somebody asked if I had heated them in the oven first and I was like no so I'm probably going to have to go buy about <laughs> a massive number of boxes of mince pies actually
0: it's about <laughs> ethics and mince pie journalism so yeah that's about right <laughs> <laughs> I've been Craig Wilson this is Alan Williamson no it's not How do we, we don't sign these things off do we we don't we just end it You say I don't know smell you later oh wait why <laughs> do we sign them off I it's come, I don't it's, know. It's come I don't back know. it's come back Wadsworth Wadsworth was the robot butler from Fallout 3 that I was like it's come back
1: to me Wadsworth and I was like we sign off our podcast by saying <laughs> Wadsworth
0: Wadsworth